In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Alan Fadden. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you today? Good afternoon, uh, because afternoon follows morning, and morning is always great. (laughs) And so the uh, book we're going to talk about today is Jim Collins, which we previously spoke about, Good to Great. The book he did, he did Good to Great in 2001. The book he did uh, previous to Good to Great was actually called Built to Last. And it was actually Jim Collins, even though you never, why do you never hear the co-authors, by the way? Jerry, and I'm not exactly sure how to say his name. It's like Poraris. Poris. Poris. It's Poris. Okay. Yes. Why can't I just spell it like it? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It still means full of holes. It's a terrible. Full of holes, exactly. Um, And so this book, Built to Last, was published in 1994. And it was based off, wildly successful. By the way, Jim Collins obviously launched his, you know, I'm not sure if it launched his career, but it definitely made him well known. I mean, I've known about him my entire business, you know, um, careers. And I've read both of the books and good to great several times. I actually like good to great better than built to last. And I think I, I, gosh, I don't even know if it was when I met him or I heard him speak, he said he should have done uh, good to great first and then built to last. And I would have to agree. I think it would have been a better book to be quite honest with you. So, but uh, which, and it still was amazing. I mean, all these concepts we're agreeing with, it's just, there's something missing. And that's what the focus of uh, this podcast is. And it was inspired by a article, and we'll make sure it is in the links on the podcast, that identify three different incredible long-term business books that are almost turned into like the Bible of business books, which is um, Good to Great. Then we did in search of excellence. And now we're going to talk about built to last because that particular article identified that all these great companies and in this book, there were 18 quote unquote visionary companies that they looked at. Uh, They were like, meh, they, they, they didn't turn out three of them went bankrupt and I can't even remember one of the books, but I think built to last actually looked at the, the largest amount of companies, which is 18 of them. And then they did a six year research project and they juxtaposed the six, the great company or what they considered visionary companies with those that weren't. And you can actually do all the research, get the book. It's a great book. Um, although I would have to state that all these books are missing something because they're so great on the early adoption uh, focus, which is ideation. And there's a big lack when it comes to implementation. So we're going to talk about that today. And the two main kind of themes throughout the book are um, the characteristics that are common to highly visionary companies, right? And that, that's why they call it 18 quote unquote visionary companies. And then how to effectively communicate these findings so that they can influence management. And um, again, it was, it's been one of the you know, most influential books of my business career. Alan, I'm not sure. Um, there's several others, but I mean, good to great and build to last is always on the top of the list, right? And there's yes. 
tons of great business books, but definitely in, uh, on the top of the list, as well as In Search of Excellence, which is probably why they did that article. And uh, you got to see this, guys. It's incredible. Out of all the companies that were identified in all of the principles, um, they didn't turn out so great. <laughs> they, didn't, they weren't yeah, built to last. They were built to last. Well, and that, that some of you may have gotten here by uh, looking at our parody book cover that says built to lapse. Oh, lapse. And, uh, <laughs> uh, be, because of the, the, yes, the companies didn't turn out, uh, the performance didn't turn out that well over time. And so built to lapse, some of them had actually lapsed and went out of business. And that's why we did the parody for In Search of Excellence to In Search of Extra Lunch. And... Uh, so on. Yes. So, and again, we agree with all of this. Great book. It's just, we're going to talk today, again, as in the previous podcast, what's missing. So uh, the first concept that we're going to talk about, well, I'll give you all six. And then Alan, let's break down each of the six. And again, there's, I think it was 11 or 12 chapters in this book. However, we're not going to go into each of the, we don't have time to go into each of the 11 or 12, but what we did is we went through and took the core concepts that kind of, that spoke, that we agree with, and that we think we can shine a little bit of light on, take the core concept, but then you need to get it done. So the first is preserving a core ideology. So basically, this is what we believe. Um, Simon Sinek would call this the why of the company. Obviously, very important. And then everybody knows this term. I, I don't know if they knew where it come, came from, but BHAG, right? Big, hairy, audacious goals. So we'll talk about that. And then owning a cult-like culture, <laughs> which we've got some interesting input on that one. And then trying new things. Everybody agrees you have to do that in business, right? And you don't need a great idea to start a company, right? And uh, Jeff Bezos, right? Let's just do an online bookstore. And look yeah, where it led him. Most right? prosaic idea of all times. Yes. We're and then, <laughs> yeah. And then we'll talk a little bit about consistent innovation, which everybody would agree you need consistent innovation. But again, how do you get that done? And how do you get it done taking your team with you instead of uh, having a whole bunch of dead bodies uh, behind you? And again, talking about, I know we bring this study up, but this study has been done over and over by Gallup. 70% of people hate their jobs. So if you're going to do consistent innovation and 70% of your team can't stand to be there, 89% are unhappy, but 70% hate, capital H, A-T-E, their jobs. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how you can do these things and then you can bring how to bring your team along. So first is the idea. Those are the six you know, general concepts and the ideas in the book. And then we're going to talk about the implementation of those ideas. So ready, Alan? Ready. Awesome. Okay. So the first one we're going to talk about is preserving a core ideology. Everyone knows that you need to have everyone on the same page or what, what do they always say? The same sheet of music. There's a whole bunch of different, um, ways that that is yeah. described and it is absolutely critical, but Whose ideology are you talking about? You know what, Alan, you should talk about mission and vision statements. I know you have a lot. Yeah. Obviously, we can't stand those, but um, you have to have it. But I think actually core ideology is way better to say it than mission and vision. But yes. what does every business have to start out with, right? Well, they always start out with their mission 
and vision. And so, uh, and sometimes they can be the most boring things imaginable. And, uh, and I think the problem is that uh, it's usually the, the owner, the CEO, the leader, whoever's in authority winds up having the say over the mission and vision statements. And I've actually been at one company where we did like a day long drill to create mission and vision statements to the company. And then the CEO came into the room and said, no, that's wrong. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and, and Hence the reason why we always get buy-in from the CEO not to do that after <laughs> running our process. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's so it's, uh, and the other part about mission and vision statements and ideology is that Everybody wants it to be complete. So you've got this, this statement that's about 80 paragraphs long, and it's got every buzzword imaginable in there. So it's through the empowerment of our people, we will create a culture of inclusiveness that allows us to be on the cutting edge of innovation and the um, cultural... Uh, the cultural uh, outcome of of customer uh, uh, excellence. There's customer, a word. Yeah, <laughs> I decided so to there. You see that will be customer time. driven to excellence. Oh, there you go. And and so and, and you know nobody could even remember this or even perhaps pronounce half the words in it. Mm -hmm. And so a, a solution would be because you know what they do is they create this core ideology and then they try to sell it to everybody and it's no accident there's a term called buy-in but buy-in isn't a very good term if you think about it because it just means that you create something and then you try to get everybody to adopt it and of course human nature says that uh, at least half of them won't and so instead uh, a solution is to uh, let's get everyone to create a, a vision and then see where all the lines cross. And we have a great process for that, the hoodoo method, where uh, the, all, all the people keep handing the idea off to each other in sequence and everybody gets their own input. And pretty soon the idea begins to take shape into something that just about everybody can, can either get excited about or at least say, Oh yeah, I can live with that. I don't mind doing that. And really As opposed to I hate it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and breaking it down into two parts. See, it, ideation is creating the idea. Implementation is getting it done, right? And I really think that what happens is one set does the idea really well and one implements really well. So it's connecting that point. So for instance, if you're looking at even something like a mission and vision statement, the idea of creating the mission and vision statement is critical. You have to include the entire team in creating it because then as soon as you get to implementing it, you don't have your handoff between the mover and the prover. And you, those two are really important in the handoff between ideation and implementation. And so what happens is if, you know, so you say, and, and again, I'll, I'll use Simon Sinek as an example here, start with why. Well, guess what? It's all the early adopters that are pulled to that. But 
how, how then do you make that mission and vision come to life? Guess who's going to do that every day? It's your implementers. It's your later adopters. It's right. getting their input to go, okay, well, we created it all together. Now, what are we going to do every day? Because, and we'll talk about this a little bit in regards to culture, because culture is what you do. It, it doesn't happen to you. It's not the potluck on Friday or any of that stuff. It, culture is what you do. And I think in breaking that down, that's the biggest misnomer in a, probably every single uh, challenge or uh, problem that the, uh, the Hoodoo Method solves is you really have to look at it in two steps. And the process works similarly, but actually different in two steps. And it's a, it's a give and take. So, so it doesn't matter what of, which of these six we're talking about. You have to break it down and then go, are we in ideation? Are we in implementation? Because you can be in the middle of implementation, have to stop and go back to ideation because you have a problem in a, in a roadblock that you hit. And so as we go through all six of these, think about breaking them down into two completely different steps and then the give and take that happens along the way so that you get, and I like what you said there, Alan, that was actually new. You've never said that before. The term buy-in is a horrible word because it's, <laughs> hey, I have this. Now you're going to have to deal with it and I want you to be on my band, bandwagon. And as you and I both know, all, the only ones who will say yes are the movers and that's if it's the best idea or set of ideas. And if they don't have a chance to have an input on that, then the likelihood you're even going to get disengagement from the mover is highly likely. So that means you're just cramming it down somebody's throat and, right. and you're using here's, their salary as leverage. Here's our new mission and vision open wide. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So the next one, which is so interesting, I had forgotten that BHAG was actually uh, coined and built to last. So um, yeah. going back through it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. Now everybody writes big, hairy, audacious goals, right? And so everyone knows we need goals. I mean, my goodness, I read mine every single morning. I have checklists for a reason. That's my daily goals, right? Weekly goals, annual goals, long-term goals. Everyone, it's common sense. Now reaching way for the stars though, Alan, I would have to tell you, all four core natures of work are going to do that differently, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. And the stars are located in different places. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So share a little bit about that with, well, maybe start with the, let's do shaker, mover, prover instead of, we usually start with the mover, um, but mm -hmm. let's start with the shaker. Yeah. So for a shaker, uh, the, the key word is, uh, the key words are big and audacious. So they don't care about goals. Um, I, I know a shaker, who, who wrote a book called uh, Goal-Free Living. <laughs> That's how much takers <laughs> care about goals. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's just something that interferes, uh, interferes with uh, the, the normal course of coming up with great ideas. So- uh, Good point, because they, they're not implementers. Yep. So and, and big so, and audacious mm -hmm. are, are it, they, yeah, it's, yeah. They have an anathema. They're not doers, they're thinkers. So as a result, that's a that's the constellation that a shaker goes through, and it's and it's something like this. Uh, what's the what's the most disruptive uh, idea ever done? You know, the where somebody will say, "Wow, that's you thought of that! I can't believe you thought of that!" You know, so I want to be rich and famous for this idea I thought of, or these ideas I thought of. So there's. <clears throat> 
and that's the, that's the end game. Doesn't matter if it gets done. Like, uh, you <laughs> no, know, I love it. Thought of that? How many shakers have we worked with? Where like I thought about the whatever solution twenty years ago. I thought about putting everything online, like. Jeff Bezos 20 years ago. And it's like, well, yeah, that's a great idea. But if you can't get it done. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> What's a good job there thinking of, of that. <laughs> so probably 700,000 other people thought of it too. Exactly. And I always say, I'll take a mediocre idea any, any time of the day. And we'll get into that one in a little bit uh, that gets implemented mm -hmm. more than the best idea that so, so you had an idea. <laughs> like, that's, that's only the beginning. <laughs> that's right. Having the idea is the booby prize. And so let's talk about how that shows up as far as goals for movers. Boy, this is so different. Oh, yeah. So, so it's almost the opposite in the sense of it's, uh, well, big because is the same because uh, both shakers and movers are both big picture people. Uh, and uh, I think that I think the hairy part comes in uh, <clears throat> not in that your goal should be manscaped or anything like that, <laughs> but that it's it's probably going to be a, a uh, you know, it's a mountain that's really hard to climb. Right. Mm -hmm. It's harder to climb K2 than it is to climb Everest. Mm -hmm. So the real the real aficionados, the real movers want to climb K2, you know, it's. We do it not because it's easy. We do it because it's hard. I think that's one thing that's attractive to a mover. Yes. And then the other, the other part is it's a goal, and it's and it's a it's a big goal. And gosh, anytime you can get that done, that's terrific. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't matter what the idea is. It's it's more about the nature of the doing, about the nature of the getting there. And let's get to some place that is hard to get to that no people have gotten to before. Yeah, and how does this show up for provers and wakers? We could probably put them in the same bucket on this one as far well, as a little yeah, bit different, a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, so first of all, big uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harry, yeah, it's Harry, all right. The whole thing's Harry. Let's just abandon it. There's the provers. Just do Harry. Yeah. That's all it is. It's yeah, just it, Harry. Well, and, and, uh, and Harry shows up in another way to makers, which is like, don't bring that ugly thing in here. I've just got everything running beautifully. You're going to bring in something hairy? Forget it. Yes, but goals they like, right? They're they, like, they like goals and they just like the, you know, it'd be like an SG for them, a small goal. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's why they love checklists and knowing what to do. And, and they're yeah. fine with repeating the same thing. I sent the email. Okay. There's my goal for the, you know, for the day or whatever. That's a goal. Yes. Yeah. So basically with shakers, the big and audacious is fantastic and fun. Mm -hmm. Movers, honestly, I'd say the BHAG whole thing, big, hairy, audacious goals, because hairy and audacious actually go together, is shows up to mean something. Provers, all they see is hairy and yeah. makers see hairy yeah. and goals, <laughs> right? There's yeah. a difference between the do and the think. And so what we do is we go, okay, everybody needs to have big, hairy, audacious goals. Well, actually the team no. needs to have that yeah right together exactly. because they balance each other out and that's a great example of the four core natures of work where the mover is the facilitator because they can see both sides in the ideation standpoint now in implementation you've already agreed on it so now you've agreed on it and you just put the goal in stone 
right? And then yep. that's when you shift gears. Yep. And so, okay, well, we'll move on to number three, which is creating a cult-like culture. This is hilarious because I look at number one as the core ideology, which is the why. Cult-like culture, that's, and we use the buzz term culture, which I really don't like because the object of the exercise is not to get along and sing kumbaya. It's to get something done. And when you're on a winning team, you can look to your left and your right and not even like the people, but be a part of a winning team, getting things done. And you don't really care. Well, me as a mover, I'm probably a little bit more, more uh, leaning into that, but culture is what you do. It's not like create this cult-like culture that we, you know, are all friends and we do the same things and we're robots. Yeah. So, and in fact, one of the things, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, the things you don't want to do, uh, one of the old beliefs that they were challenging is, you know, they used to say everybody would have to have like a very charismatic leader to have, to put together a really high performing company. And, um, that was the main so, theme of the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of them. Yeah. And, and so, create a cult like, or create a cult like culture and have a charismatic leader, right? Yeah. Cause that's how you create a cult like culture is to have a charismatic leader. And, uh, you know, there would be no Jonestown without Jones. And, uh, so, and that's why we didn't make it a main point of the book because right. it was like, you know, we're just kind of yeah, self-contradictory. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so yeah. the, the, the part of like, everybody wants to have a culture and this reminds me of, and I know we use this quote all the time, but Peter Drucker's, you know, 94% of failure is process failure, right? So the process dictates the culture, which is what you do. The process is what you do. And there is safety in a process for everyone there. And it's a safety for the team, right? So yeah. So it's safety for the movers, shakers, provers, and makers using a method. And so I think a lot of times they, people look at Deming's quote, 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. And I think what they think is you have to have a checklist for everything. And while that ultimately is a key idea because you want to replicate something over and over again, what I think he was saying is if you just have a method, right? It's not just the step one, step two, step three, even though that's the idea is to get to that. It's the method, right? Of, of applying something and being comfortable and have people feel comfortable with what they're doing and not be a part of the 70% of people that hate their jobs. Right. Right. There was a guy that, uh, <clears throat> my first job, he was a sales manager and I was PR director and I was all uh, young and fresh and want to do things my way. And he, he'd look at me and say, touch the bases, touch the bases. So what do you mean by that? You just go through the steps. You're not going to be able to just go, you know, boom and declare something's going to happen. We have a way of doing things around here. Learn what that is and touch those bases. You'll get a lot more done. Yeah, wow, brilliant exactly. advice. And it's so simple. My goodness. There you go. There honestly something simple like that, that people can understand, agree with, and then buy into. I think it's why we might have to look at this book too, but books like fish and whale done, they're so simple and they did so well and they're great books, but there is a brilliance about being simple and simplicity Absolutely. really is. 
and of course it sounds simple. I always say, you know, climbing to the top of Mount Everest is really simple. Put one foot in front of the other, but I'm sure most people wouldn't say it's easy. <laughs> Although Kilimanjaro, as you mentioned, is a little harder. <laughs> so, oh. uh, yeah, as, uh, <clears throat> I think it was, um, uh, judge Oliver Wendell Holmes, who is chief justice of the Supreme court. He said for simplicity on this side of complexity, I give not a wit. For simplicity on the other side of complexity, I would give my fortune. So true. That's a great quote. You haven't used that one in a while, so that's no. always a good one. It's very true, right? And so we'll move on to number four then, which is trying new things. This is hilarious. Uh, like, I agree. Everyone knows you need to try new things, but let's go through maybe some of how that's dangerous, both in <laughs> all the way from different reasons, from the shaker who will love to try new things every other day to the maker that it's actually physically hurts them based off of uh, you know, the 110 years of marketing research that we talk about every day and the method, the Hoodoo Method is built on, which is the law of diffusion of innovations. So you wanna share that? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so I worked with a guy who said, uh, used to say, uh, I don't think I'm gonna do that. That would be a career limiting move. So he, he was uh, really <clears throat> talking about how dangerous it is for people to try new things. And part of that is fe fear of failing and then being punished. You know, there's a lot of punishment that goes on in, in companies. So if you wanna try new things, one of the things you can do is uh, spread the intelligence out by working, truly working it as a team, which means getting going to the right person at the right time for the right thing, which is the hoodoo method, that also spreads out the risk. When the team comes up with the idea together and figures out the implementation plan together and everybody does their part, you know, you, you really can't find an individual to play to blame and it's really safe ground for a lot of people to uh, to do their best. And it's a self, um, it's a self, aver not averaging, but a self uh, mod modulating system in that if it's too crazy of an idea, people are gonna, are gonna- Don't uh, kill it. If it's uh, not gonna work, your team will kill come it? up and a shaker's never gonna kill or, the idea. <laughs> or they'll come up with the problems and then solve the problems and make an even stronger idea out of it. Exactly, that's exactly. And so trying new things for the sake of trying new things, I'm like, yeah. So that's why we pulled that out. One of the core themes to discuss because yeah. it's correct. It's correct if you have a method behind it, right? Because trying new things for the sake of trying new things doesn't make a lot of sense actually. And Warren Buffett would actually hate it if you said that. <laughs> quote, I hate innovation, Warren Buffett. Right. <laughs> he just wants to get the money printed. That's it, right? Uh, and that'll bring us to, I almost want to jump to number six after that, but we will stay on uh, our focus here, which is number five is you don't need a great idea to start a company. Okay, I agree with that. Again, Jeff Bezos, online book company, right? Not a huge breakthrough idea. However, if you haven't worked the idea through the process, I would say that you could decide that, okay, it's not a good idea. And just for the sake of it not being a good idea, you can start a company. It's like, and by the way, ideation is totally different from implementation here. Absolutely. So <clears throat> there's a, uh, a couple of guys who 
did just that. They didn't have a great idea. In fact, they didn't have any idea at all. And one was a medical doctor and another one was a, an entrepreneur and they went into a room for about two weeks and fought with each other like crazy and unconsciously ran the hoodoo method because they, each one of them had <clears throat> a, a couple of different uh, uh, things going. You know, one was a mover uh, shaker combination and another one was more the uh, prover and maker. And together they invented the blood uh, or the pulse oximeter, which read the, the blood for oxygenation, which uh, prevented a lot of uh, anesthesia accidents and uh, became uh, a standard of the industry. If you want to know what that is, look at people's index finger. They have a little thing clipped on it with a cord leading away from it. These two guys invented it without having a great idea. However, they needed, and they did this, and so we're not saying we invented this, we just sort of actualized this. Um, they needed to go through an ideation stage and then an implementation stage. They had to build a machine, they had to get clearances and patents and so forth. And they had to get this thing done from beginning to end. And uh, they were smart enough to separate ideation from implementation. Just because your idea is ready to go and it's thought through and it's been deflawed doesn't mean you can actually implement it. And the whole game changes at that point. You got it. And then that balance on implementation, going back and overcoming an obstacle by going back to ideation. To ideation, yeah. And the key there, too, is remember, in implementation, your prover always stays your point guard and your prover goes to your mover. Your prover does not go to your shaker. For little things, but for anything that's critical, the prover has to go to the mover because that is the buffer between all the great things and ideas and getting them done. And the mover is a great facilitator in keeping that team and that glue together because shakers and provers are so dramatically different uh, that in overcoming an obstacle, you might have to think about 50 things. Well, provers sitting there, you know, going back and forth going, okay, that's not going to work. They just fight with, they don't fight physically. They just are, have such different perspectives that even when they speak the perspective, it can just create stress between it. And so, um, you know, understanding that implementation, that implementation doesn't mean that you've stopped ideation. It just means that you're playing, you know, uh, tennis and going back and forth and back and forth between ideation and implementation. So that leads us to our final one, which is consistent innovation. Okay, we all know we need consistent innovation. There's a million books on it. Alan, how many books have you written on innovation? Trained it for 20, everybody knows you need innovation. The problem is, it's hard to do it. Yeah, uh, consistent innovation, what I, uh, that's what I would call a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> and in fact, it is a big, hairy, audacious goal to do it once. You to get it, it from the beginning to end mm -hmm. because there are so many obstacles in the way. Well, and you know what? You should share that story uh, as we wrap it up here of the 37 to 36. It's one of my favorite stories, just the experience itself and seeing it. It's just, I guess after doing this for a long time, Alan, it's like, it's not even a, it's not even a surprise. It's the typical, this story is the norm and it's the norm no matter what meeting you're in. Specifically, this one was um, an innovation team though. Yes, and um, so I was hired as a, 
as a consultant, you know, that was her first mistake, but <laughs> they asked me to come in. And yeah, the, the only reason is because you didn't bring me. That's right. Because <laughs> exactly. you needed to move her behind you. Yeah, it was, a, it, it, it was the worst possible uh, thing. So uh, I sat through a two hour meeting and, they, and what they wanted to do was uh, for me to give them a report at the end of the meeting on, on how they were doing. And then so at the end of the meeting, they said, well, everybody's gone now. And uh, I, they said, well, okay, what's your report? And I said, 37 to 36. And they looked at me like, what? Uh, they said, well, what do you, that's your report, 37 to 36? And I said, yep, that's my report. I said, well, what are, the, what are you talking about? I said, okay, well, I, you asked me to observe the meeting, and here's what I did. I counted the number of ideas in the meeting, and there were 37 of them. And then I counted the number of ideas that were shot down. And I, they were shot down by a comment, by a look, by somebody saying that'll never work, or we've tried it before, whatever it is. So the, there were 37 ideas, and 36 of them were shot down. And now it's important to know that the score uh, with about two minutes left in the meeting was 36 to 36. 30, 36 ideas, 36 shot yeah, down. Yeah, how long? What, two hours into it? How long was it? The yeah, total? so that was an hour and 58 minutes. Oh, After an hour and 58 <laughs> minutes, 36 to 36. And, and that would mean, doing the math, how many ideas did the team have? None. Zero. Bupkis. Nada. So somebody had the 37th idea and everybody said, oh yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Can we go now, please? Exactly. Can we go? And by the way, that's not going to get implemented anyway. That creates the, as we say, culture, because that's what we do. Sit tight. Don't make any sudden moves because nothing's going to change nothing's anyway. Nothing's going to happen anyway. And the other thing was, you know, the, how good was idea number 37? How, how original was it? Not. Not. You know, hey, let's put, uh, uh, let's put salt and pepper together on the, on the table. Yeah, oh, okay. Exactly. Nobody's ever done that before. <laughs> so, or do the same thing. I love it when they come up with the idea that never got implemented before, which is actually, and, and honestly, you can go through the meeting and even come up with a good idea or even a mediocre idea. The thing is, is that also getting everyone to agree to it and then implementing it. So we yeah. love to use the word innovation. At the end of the day, it's very challenging, as you said. Even it's another, it's another meaningless buzzword. <laughs> and well, yeah. go ahead. No, you want to. Well, is is the 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 only use of innovation is I think is a historical uh, perspective. You know, oh, somebody did this that's innovation. So you go ahead and you do this now and it'll, everything will be fine. Well, nobody can do it. That's what uh, Peter Drucker said in one of his books. He said, uh, there, uh, there are only uh, two things a company should be doing is marketing and innovation. And unfortunately, innovation is something that nobody can do. And well, how would you do it? Uh, well, you, Drucker says you put together teams, but nobody knows how to do that either. <laughs> So isn't it amazing when new innovations do hit the market? Because of course we have technology and new innovations. However, most people would not realize that there's a lot of money that gets, well, they probably do know it. A lot of money gets wasted because you can go three to eight times faster, not waste any money 
get people in the right place at the right time, doing the right things, and innovation can happen. It can happen without the dead bodies behind you and without the billions, probably trillions of dollars that we spend uh, on, on that, um, on creating new products, services, right? Thinking, yep. I, I hate this word, outside of the box. So, <laughs> only shakers probably even like that. Now it's such a buzzword. It's just like innovation. Oh yeah, shakers <laughs> hate it now. Oh yeah, they hate it now because it's not a new idea. That's right. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Alan, uh, for joining me on the podcast today, Built to Lapse. So if you want to learn a little bit more about the Hoodoo Method and the People Catalyst, go ahead and head to our website, The People Catalyst. And that is plural.com. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.